He's, he's heading out. <laughs> he's, he's had enough already. <laughs> All right, yeah. So we're going through, uh, starting in Luke 7, going to Luke 7 today. And uh, we're going to continue our series through the heart of God. So that's what we've been looking at um, since, since August. And yeah, continuing through there. And I think our passage today really clearly shows um, the heart of God. For his people, it shows, it shows us who God is. Um, it shows us the joy that we can have in Him, um, how we can rejoice in Him. And so, yeah, we're going through Luke seven. It's going to be verses eighteen through twenty-five, and we'll split it up into sort of three portions. And so, I'll I'll go ahead and read, starting in Luke seven, verse eighteen here. Luke seven eighteen. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who has to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who who is not offended by me. So I think the first question we need to ask when we look at this text is, why is is John the Baptist asking this question? Like, Why does he send his disciples to Jesus um, asking if Jesus really is the Messiah who was to come. Because I think it's, when we think of people in the New Testament who would question Jesus or who would challenge Jesus on his mission and on his identity, we don't really think John the Baptist. We think of John, of John the Baptist as the one, like he's come to prepare the way for Jesus. Uh, he's really close to the mission of God. We see his heart for the mission of God in his preaching, um, in his baptisms that he does for people. Uh, so you really you don't think John the Baptist when you think who's going to question Jesus here. Um, so the, so what we need to explain is why is he asking this question? Like why is John the B, John the Baptist who has come to prepare the way for Jesus now he's questioning the identity of Jesus and he's questioning if they should actually look for another person, or should we look for someone else besides Jesus? Uh, so we need to look at you know why is this brought about? Why is why is John asking this question here? And really, we need, to, we need to examine what is John's ministry all about. So he's come before Jesus, and we've covered it before. What is, what is John preaching um, in his message that, that he's delivering out in the wilderness? Why is he baptizing people? If we look back to Luke 3, 7 through 9, I'll go, I'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, he, John the Baptist says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So like, what, what does this message sound like? It sounds like judgment is coming, right? It sounds like John the Baptist is pre- preparing the way for the wrath of God to come. And Jesus is just going to wipe out everyone who rejects him. So he's basically preaching, like, turn or burn. 
It's a really harsh message. He's expecting this judgment of God to come on those um, who don't repent and who don't turn away. It's also important for us to notice like where John the Baptist is at this moment, uh, like when he when he asks this question because he's actually in prison like during this time, because he came he came preaching this message this message. He's preaching repentance. He's calling people to turn away from their sin, and he calls out Herod. And Herod, uh, he's like the local Jewish ruler in that area at the time. He calls out Herod, and Herod is like, yeah, whatever, I'm not going to repent, throw you in prison. And so John the Baptist, he's in prison at this point for calling out Herod. Herod was sleeping with his brother's wife, so uh, just being a terrible guy. And he doesn't, he doesn't repent. He throws John in prison. And now, so imagine being John the Baptist. You're stuck in prison right now. You're expecting the judgment of God to come through Jesus. Like you've prepared the way for Jesus to come as the Messiah and bring the wrath of God. Um, and then your disciples come to you in prison and they start telling you what Jesus is doing. They're saying, yeah, Jesus is healing people. He's preaching good news. He's being questioned by the Pharisees. And if you're John the Baptist, you're probably wondering, why is he not bringing the wrath of God right now? Like, why is he not coming down on all, on all this injustice and all this wickedness that is in the land? And he may, he may also be like, a little bit frustrated, too. I think there's some frustration in his question um, and even some impatience. He's like, should, should I start looking for someone else to bring this wrath, to bring this judgment on evil and, all, and on sin? So he's tired of being in prison. Uh, he probably would have been in prison for about a year at this point. And so he's been suffering in prison. He's waiting for the judgment of God to come. And it's almost ironic, too, that he may, he may look foolish in this instant. So he's, he's preaching judgment on those who do wickedness, but now he's in prison under the judgment of Herod. So if you're looking at this, you're like, I don't really know if John knows you know, what he's talking about here, because it looks like he's under judgment right now, um, not Herod. So it's an important question that John asked right here. It's an important question asked by an important figure. Uh, and we have this same question, but before, before we uh, examine how we question it, we need to look at how Jesus answers John the Baptist. Because his answer to John it appears to be a little repetitive at first. He says, you know, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. And so basically he says, okay, go and tell John you know, what I've been doing. Go and tell him about the healings that I'm doing, that I'm raising people from the dead, that I'm preaching good news. And that seems kind of weird because John already knows what Jesus is doing, right? Like his disciples came to John the Baptist. They told him what Jesus was doing. And then he, began, and then he, send, he sends him back and asks the question. So it seems confusing as to why, you know, why would Jesus just explain what he's doing to John, who is questioning what he's doing. And so it seems, it seems a little weird to us, but really we find, we find that he really does answer his, uh, John's question right here um, in, his, in his response from verse 22 and 23. Because in verse 22 and 23, he answers John, but really he's quoting from Isaiah 35 um, in Isaiah 61. So Jesus, he's fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, prophecies about the Messiah. Uh, that's, so that's really his answer. He's like, no, I am, I am doing the role of the Messiah here. Like, I am bringing good news. I am healing people up. I'm, I'm raising people up, and I'm healing people. I'm cleansing them of their sin. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's actually assuring John. He's not just blowing him off. He's not just ignoring him. He's actually assuring John that, no, I know, like, I know you're in prison right now. I know you're expecting this judgment to come. Um, but... I'm still the Messiah, right? I'm still bringing justice. I'm still bringing healing and bringing cleansing. And I think a lot of us, we can relate to John the Baptist right here because we love Jesus. 
we love Jesus and we've proclaimed him as our Savior. We've proclaimed him. We trust in him. Uh, we know that he is the Messiah. We know that he is the Savior that has come. But at the same time, we're longing for him to bring justice into this world. We're longing for him to bring judgment down on evil and on wickedness. And we can grow, we can grow impatient too with John the Baptist right here. We can grow impatient wondering, man, why has Jesus like, not done what he said he's going to do yet? Why has he not brought you know, this punishment down on evil um, that is affecting me? You know, we wonder, why, why is Jesus letting this continue? Uh, when we look in the world, we see war, we see poverty, uh, we, see, we see evil just everywhere, um, betrayal, and just all, all these sins that are in the world. We wonder why Jesus hasn't dealt with it yet. But then we also look into our own lives, and we see, we see our sin, we see our struggle that we fall into, we see how it impacts us, and we go through this battle, and we wonder, man, why, why is this not over? Why, why, Jesus, why haven't you taken care of this yet? And so we have the same struggle, we have the same doubt on the questioning that John the Baptist has. But at the same time, Jesus, he gives us the same answer that he gives to John the Baptist. He says, look, look at what I've done. Look at what I'm doing and what I've done. He says, I actually have brought judgment. Right? Jesus is bringing judgment right here. I know it's not the total, ultimate judgment that he's going to bring, but he is bringing judgment. Because remember, one of the main points of Jesus' ministry, um, of his miracles, are that they point to a deeper spiritual reality. When we look at him cleansing um, the lepers, when we look at him giving sight to the blind, these all point towards like a greater restoration that Jesus is bringing here. These all point towards Jesus bringing judgment on sin and on evil. If you look at our, if you remember Mike's sermon from last week, Jesus goes to the very source of the widow's pain, the widow who lost her son. Jesus goes straight to her pain, and he deals with it. He comforts her. He brings her son back to life. And so he's comforting the widow at that moment, but he's also bringing judgment in that moment. He's also bringing victory over death, and he's raising, he's raising uh, her, her son to life. So he's bringing this victory, and he, he is bringing this judgment, um, but he's, he's bringing it down on evil. He's bringing, bringing it down on indwelling sin, and he's cleansing, he's healing. And so we have the same answer. And this is, this is the answer that we need over and over again as we go through this world. When we see sin, when we see evil, when we fall into our own sin, we need to look back at Jesus as the Messiah. We need to trust that Jesus really is the Messiah. We don't need to look for something else to save us. Jesus has come and he has, he has declared the good news to us, that we can be cleansed, that he has brought judgment down on sin and on evil. And he's still the Messiah that is ushering in this new age of salvation for his people. He's bringing in this new era um, that we have the, the privilege of joining. And so we need to hold on to that. We need to rejoice in that. Um, but Jesus keeps going here. And so I'll go ahead, I'll go and start reading in verse 24 uh, for our second portion here. Verse 24 through 28. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. 
yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So it's, it's interesting here that Jesus actually turns from John's disciples and he addresses the crowd about John the Baptist. And he asks them, you know, who did you go out to see? And I think it's because a lot of the people in this crowd, they went out and they were baptized by John. And so they hear, they hear that John's disciples have come and that, uh, that John is asking this question right here. They may be wondering the same thing. Right? They were baptized by John. They may be in the same boat of like, oh, okay, like if John the Baptist is wondering what's going on, like maybe we should wonder. Um, or they may be expecting Jesus to rebuke John um, because John's questioning him right here. Uh, we, well, we may expect that too. Like John the Baptist, he's questioning Jesus' very identity. Uh, he's questioning why Jesus even came to earth. He's questioning if Jesus actually is the Messiah who is to come. And so we may expect Jesus to kind of rebuke him harshly, um, but notice what Jesus says about John the Baptist. Instead of, instead of rebuking him in front of the crowd, he actually exalts him. It's almost like John the Baptist starts questioning him, questioning all this. And, John, and Jesus says, you know, let's just talk about how awesome John the Baptist is. Let's just talk about how great he is um, in the kingdom of God. He says he's not a reed shaken by the wind. So he's meaning that he's strong, he's confident. Like he's, he's dedicated to the purpose of God. He's dedicated to the will of God. And nothing will sway him from that. Uh, he also wasn't living a lifestyle of luxury. He was, wearing, he was wearing camel clothing out in the desert, and he was eating locusts. And so he's sacrificing this life of luxury um, out of his dedication to God. He's not living a life of luxury, but he's, he's sacrificing himself. He's giving himself to the mission of God. And so Jesus, he's just praising John right here, saying how great he is. Uh, then he brings it up another notch. He says, so yeah, he's not a reed shaken by the wind. Um, he's, not, he's not living in luxury right now, um, but he is a prophet. He said, you guys came out to see a prophet. And more than that, or, yeah, you guys came out to see a prophet. And when Jesus says that, for the Jews in that crowd, that would have been a huge statement to them. They would have, they would have thought prophet as like, okay, this is like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, you know, Daniel. Like, they're thinking like the prophets of the Old Testament when Jesus says this. And so Jesus, he puts John on this really high level. Of like, yeah, this is like an Old Testament prophet. Like, this is a huge figure in the history of God's people. Um, but then he brings it up even another notch. And he says, but he's actually more than a prophet. Like, he's actually greater than all these prophets from the Old Testament. Because he's the one that's come to prepare the way for the Messiah. Uh, that's why Jesus, he quotes from Malachi 3.1 in our text, where he says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. When he says that, he's saying, look, John, he's, like, he's the one that's prophesied by Malachi in the Old Testament. And we, th we think of Malachi as like the, last, like the last book in the Old Testament, right? Malachi is the last prophet. Um, what Jesus is saying here, like John the Baptist, he's actually the last prophet. Uh, he's, he's the last one to come before Jesus arrives, before Jesus ushers in this new age of salvation. And so J Jesus, he's elevating John um, because of his role in the kingdom of God. He's saying, look, no one, no one has been more important than John um, up until this point. He even says, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So he's really, he's, he's hyping John up right here. He's, he's telling how great John the Baptist is. But then he throws a curveball. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So he's just, uh, he's just done all this of elevating John, saying how great he is. And now he says the one that is very least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Now, I, don't, I don't think Jesus is speaking in terms of obedience here. I don't think it's like, it's not like Jesus came to us and he's like, hey, just think of, think of the worst Christian that you know. Like, he, he's probably better than John the Baptist. 
That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. Um, but it's also, he's, that's not even why he's saying John was so great. Like, John did obey God. Like, he did do these things. But John was only great because of his role in preparing the way for Jesus. Like, John is great because he has the privilege of preparing the way for the Messiah of the Old Testament to come, for the Savior of God's people to come. That's why he's so great. He's great because of his status in relation to Jesus. And so when Jesus turns to us and he says, look, those, in the kingdom, those who are least in the kingdom are greater than John the Baptist, he's actually saying, like, we're greater than John the Baptist because we have the privilege of actually knowing Jesus. We have the privilege of actually knowing God, of having his presence come into our hearts and dwell with us. That's why, that's why we're actually, we have a greater privilege than him. We have a greater status. So we're brought from this lowly estate and we're exalted in the kingdom of God um, because Jesus has come as our Savior. And so we have, we have this relationship with God that no one in the Old Testament really had. Like We have the privilege of actually being cleansed completely from our sin, being, being forgiven completely. We have the presence of God, and we have the victory that Jesus brings through, through his coming as a Messiah. We have this victory that he has given to us as our Savior. And if Jesus still accepts John, when John the Baptist questions him, uh, imagine how much, how much more does he accept us when we begin to doubt, when we begin to wonder, when we have doubts about God, and when we, when we maybe question Jesus at times. Jesus, he doesn't rebuke us. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't harshly come down on us. He actually he welcomes us back. Right? He, he, he welcomes us with his love. He, he suffers with us. He comforts us. And at the same time, he points us back to what he's been doing. Right? He doesn't come down on us. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, reject us. He says, look, look at what I've, what I've done for you. Right? Yeah, I know, I know you have doubts. I know you're in a period of suffering right now. You're in a period of hardship. But look at what I've done for you. Look at how I'm with you right now, how I comfort you, provide for you during your suffering. Look how I forgive you when you fall into your sin, how you're cleansed and how you're forgiven. We have this great status that Jesus has given us out of his grace. It's not that we didn't deserve it. It's not because of our obedience that we're brought in. But it's because Jesus has come down and he's brought us into his kingdom. So we have this great privilege, this great status um, bestowed upon us by Jesus. So it's a, it's a, it's a point of rejoicing. Um, but it's also it's really good news for us. It's also really it's good news that people reject. And that's kind of like the last portion of this text here. It's good news as preached, and we see the response of those in the crowd. And some reject it, and some accept it. So let's continue in our passage, starting in verse 29, and we'll go through 35. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon." The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. All right, so first I wanna I wanna explain, okay, so why does Luke why does Luke include this little portion in verse twenty-nine, where it's in parentheses, but he says, When all the people heard this, all the people that were baptized by John, they declared God just. 
and all the people who weren't baptized by John, uh, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. So it's pretty strong language, right? We have declare, like declaring God just, so what does that mean? We have rejecting the purpose of God, you know, what does that mean? And also, how is this tied into the baptism that John brings? Uh, so we have a lot going on here. But at the center, at the center of, these, of this language that Luke is using, and at the center of this acceptance versus this rejection, um, is what the ministry of John the Baptist is all about. So a couple weeks ago, Mike preached about um, John the Baptist and his message of repentance that he's bringing. And if we look back at Luke 3.3, 3, um, we read that John the Baptist, he proclaims a baptism for forgiveness of sins. So that's what John the Baptist has come. He's saying, look, all of you, we're all guilty. Uh, we're all deserving of punishment. Be baptized, you know, because you need to repent. And you, need to be, you need to be forgiven of your sin. So that's, what the, that's the message that John the Baptist is bringing. And those that accept it, they acknowledge that they needed cleansing. They, they heard John preach this message. They looked at their own sin, and they recognized, yeah, like, I do need to be cleansed. I need, I need to have this cleansing. I need to be forgiven. And they acknowledge that they were deserving of the judgment to come. And the reason that they declared God just here is because Jesus is confirming what they already believe. Right? They, they declared that they were dirty, that they were, they were sinful, they needed to be cleansed. And now Jesus is saying, look, now you're great in the kingdom. Jesus is saying, God has delivered on his promise by sending me. Like John has prepared the way for me to come and bring this forgiveness to you um, that you know that you need. And so they're declaring God just here. They're saying, yeah, like Jesus, God really has sent his son um, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us cleansing, to bring us healing. Almost think of this as in like mechanical, like a mechanical problem with your car. So my, my Jeep has a problem right now where sometimes I'm driving and I'll hit this pothole and the wheel or the steering wheel will start like shaking back and forth and I have to like wrangle it back to keep it straight. So I need, I need to get it fixed. I need to get it checked out. Um, but so it's a problem. But at, so the other day, my neighbor Bill came up to me. He said, hey, like, as I was talking to him about the Jeep, and he's like, hey, you know, what's going on? And I'm like, well, yeah, the steering wheel shakes sometimes. And he's like, you should probably get your wheels aligned. You should probably go, like, or get your, get your tires aligned. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll fix the problem, and you'll be fine. So let's say that I do go to a tire shop, and I get my tires aligned. And the mechanic comes out, and he says, hey, it's a good thing you got your tires aligned, because they would have fallen off, like, in a week if you hadn't done this. I would, I would like probably trust Bill at that point, right? I would be thankful that Bill told me uh, to go do this. I'd be thankful that, he, uh, that, he was, that what he said was true, that what he said was right. Uh, and I'd, I'd be good to go, right? I'd be good to like, keep driving wherever I want. And so that's, that's kind of what we have going on here. Like John the Baptist has declared like the solution. Like they know, he's declared that there is a problem. He's declared that there is a solution coming through Jesus. And now Jesus, he's confirming like that solution is true, that they really have received this forgiveness and they really are, like, they're good to go now. And so they're declaring God just. They're like, yeah, what God said through John the Baptist is true. Like, he really is fair. He really has kept his promise to us. Um, but they're not just saved from, like, shaky Jeep tires. They're saved, they're saved from the wrath of God. And so, like, really the praise would be way amped up. They're like, oh, okay, God really has delivered on his promise to us. Like, we're, we really are cleansed, and we really are forgiven and saved from the wrath of God. So their praise would be huge. And, and the same is true for us. Right? God, he keeps his promise to us. Like, when we repent, when we confess that we need uh, a Savior, when we recognize our own sin and ask for the forgiveness of God, he keeps his promise to us. 
right? God is justified, right? We, we see that God really is fair to us. That he really is true to his word, and he is faithful. Um, so when we do fall into sin, when we do have these wonderings about what's going on in the world, uh, why evil hasn't come, or why, why judgment hasn't come yet, like God, he's still faithful to us. He still keeps his promise to us um, that we are cleansed and that we are forgiven. But at the same time, we have those who weren't baptized by John. So we have people who rejected the purpose of God for themselves. And so like, we need to look at, so what is the, what is the purpose of God? I think if we, look, if we look through these early chapters of Luke and we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see that the purpose of God is, is bringing good news to the poor. Right? It's all these things that we've talked about. It's, it's Jesus coming, it's him bearing our sin, it's him saving people from the wrath of God, bringing them into fellowship with him. Like, this is the purpose of God. And this is what the, the Pharisees and the lawyers reject right here. And they reject it because they don't really believe that they need it. Like at the, core, at the core of their rejection is a pride that says, you know, I don't, I don't need this forgiveness. I don't need this cleansing. Um, like, I'm good to go. And so they had a, a pride that, that denied, de- denied their need for, uh, for forgiveness. Um, they denied that they deserved the coming judgment of God. And what Jesus does here, he actually, he actually cuts through their pride. And he actually compares them to children. He says, you know, you guys are like children where basically what he's saying is, you, know, you guys are like children where you know, I'll, play a, I'll play like a happy song on the flute and you guys won't dance. Or I'll play like a sad song and you guys won't, you know, you won't cry. And so he's, he's comparing them to little children who are just stubborn, like who don't, who don't want to comply to anything um, that you have to give them. Uh, so maybe, maybe you, like some of you parents can relate to this, where like you're trying to give your, like your little child like some peas or something, and you've, you've tried the fun way. Like, you've tried the little airplane where you're trying to get it into their mouth. And they're, like, dodging you with their head and, like, keeping their mouth shut. Like, you tried this fun way of giving, giving them, like, what's good for them, and they reject it, right? But then you've also tried, like, the harsh way. Like, hey, you know, you can't, you can't leave your chair until you eat your peas or whatever. Like, you can't, you can't leave the table. You can't have dessert. They're like, you know, I don't care. I'll stay here all night. Like, they're stubborn, right? They're super stubborn. Um, and they reject it. And so that's kind of like the rejection Jesus is talking about right here. Like nothing, nothing him or John the Baptist um, have done, like has done will, will please them. Like nothing they can do, nothing they can say um, is going gonna, is gonna to change the rejection that they have. Like John the Baptist, he tried, he tried the hard way. Like he tried kind of like the warning way of, hey, like judgment is coming. Like you guys know that you're guilty. You guys know that the wrath of God is coming and you need to be saved need to repent and turn away from your sin. And so he tried the hard way, and they called him a demon. They just called him a crazy person, basically. Like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. We're fine. Um, and Jesus, like, he tried, he tried the, fun, like, the fun way, right? He tried the appealing way, where he's like, look, I'm, dwell, I'm raising people from death to life. Like, I'm bringing sight to the blind. I'm, I'm, I'm cleansing lepers. I'm dwelling with people who normally wouldn't deserve um, this fellowship that I have. And so he's, he's appealing to them just like the beauty of the kingdom of God, of those who are exalted coming down and dwelling with the lowly. So he has, this, he has this attractive presentation, but they reject that too. They call him a glutton and a drunkard. And they're, they're like, no, you're not, you're not bringing the kingdom of God to sinners. You're just a sinner. Like you, don't believe in, you don't belong to the kingdom of God. And so no matter what, they're just rejecting, um, rejecting whatever God has to offer them. And they're bent on refusing this purpose. And the thing is, like, this actually seems wise to them. Like, they think they're doing the right thing here. Like, they're understanding 
um, their understanding of the purpose of God and what God has for them uh, is different than what Jesus and John the Baptist has, but they believe that they're right. That, does that make sense? Like, yeah, they, have, they have their wisdom that competes, actually, with the true wisdom of the purpose of God. So they have two competing wisdoms right here. They have the wisdom of the world that the Pharisees and, and the people who reject Jesus, they hold to the wisdom of the world. But also, you also have the purpose of God, right? You have the wisdom of God um, that is justified by its children. And so you have two competing wisdoms, and these two competing wisdoms, they still compete today. Like these two ways of thinking, these two understandings of the world, they're still in competition today. So you have the wisdom of the world um, that rejects just all aspects of the gospel. It's, it's, you know, no, no matter what you present to it, it's going to reject it. Like you, you can give it the hard way. You can, you can present, hey, like we're all guilty. We're all deserving of punishment. We're all under our own sin. Uh, we need to repent and turn away. And it rejects that. So it rejects the harsh, the warning. Um, but it's also presented with the joy of the gospel. It's like, hey, like you, can, you can really confess, like, this is available to you. Like, you don't have to hold on to your pride anymore. You don't have to cling to the things of these world. Like, you can release them, and you can be welcomed into the, the family of God. Like, you can enter into fellowship um, with God and with Jesus. Um, but it rejects that too, right? The wisdom of the world, it just rejects because it has a stubbornness, has this hardness of heart um, that comes down on it, and it's filled with pride, and it's filled with its own efforts. And the phrase, wisdom is justified by all her children, it's true. Like, it's true for this wisdom. Like, when you look at the wisdom of the world, you see people who are discontent, right? It, pro- it proves the, the folliness, the foolishness um, that comes with this. You see people that are discontent. You see people clinging to money. You see people clinging to relationships, uh, to status or career, or even just you know, houses, like, wherever they live. Like, you see people clinging to all these temporal, worldly things, and you see, you see just the despair that comes with that. You see the suppression of the truth that we really do need a Savior to come in. Like, we're all in the, we're all in the same boat, uh, that nothing in this world can fulfill us, and, and nothing, nothing that we see, no, none of our own efforts will justify us. And so if you're in that way of wisdom, if you're in that way of understanding the world, I urge you, I urge you to, to consider the wisdom of God. And don't, don't look at the wisdom of God as like, hey, you know, we're, we're so wise that we accepted, we accepted the wisdom of God. Like, we're, we're so smart. Like, it's only by the grace of God that we can understand this. Um, but I still I urge you to consider it. Because uh, the wisdom of God is also justified by her children. And so the wisdom of God, it's seen through the people that come in as believers. It's seen through looking at the lowly and seeing them be exalted um, through Christ. It's seen through, through those who are high coming into lowly and fellowshipping with them, through loving them, through praying with them. It's seen through the family that we have as a church, loving one another. And so I just urge you to consider this. Um, you, you have the hard side. You have the reality of sin, that we're all broken. We're all in need of forgiveness. Um, but you also have the great news that Christ offers us healing. He offers us wholeness. He offers us fulfillment. And that's available to you. So he offers us these things, um, this great joy that we can have. And as believers, we should actually attest to this wisdom of God. Right? Everything, we sh- everything we do should be for his glory because he has saved us. Right? He's redeemed us and brought us into this family. He's brought us into the kingdom of God. So everything we do should be a glorification of what he has done for us. It shouldn't be a prideful representation. Uh, it should be a humble exaltation of what God has done for us. 
But I also believe that wisdom is justified in one more way than this. Like when, when, Luke said, or when Jesus says wisdom is justified by her children, um, really what he's saying is wisdom is justified by Jesus. If we, see, if we see God as the source of all wisdom, we see him justified by sending his, his perfect child, his perfect son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Because going back to John the Baptist's question, he's, he's asking for this judgment. He wants this judgment to come, and we want this judgment to come. And in one way, this judgment has come, but it hasn't come down on us. This judgment has actually come down on Jesus. It's come down on the perfect child of God, and he sacrificed himself in our place. And that's the wisdom of God that we actually see. We see that God has a problem. He has people that he loves, people that he wants to save, but he also has their sin. And because he's holy, he can't leave their sin unpunished. And so we see his wisdom and that he sacrifices himself for the people that he loves, for his church. Like his wisdom is seen, is seen in Jesus coming down and paying, paying the price for our sin. His wisdom is seen in Jesus making, his, making himself poor and lowly so that we're exalted. It's seen in Jesus removing himself from the kingdom so that we're brought in. It's seen in Jesus dying on the cross for us so that we're actually brought to life. Like this is the way of the wisdom of God. It's Jesus laying down his life for us. It's him, it's him sacrificing himself and him giving us strength to live, it's giving us grace to, grace to obey God, grace to love others, um, to glorify him. And this, so this is the wisdom of God that we can cling to. This is the wisdom of God and that we can hope in, and it's seen perfectly in Jesus Christ. And so when we have this question that John has, when, John, you know, when we have this question, is Jesus the one who is to come? Like, should we start looking for another? We have the answer, right? We have to know. Like, we don't need to look for anyone else. Like, Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. He's over all things, uh, and he has brought us into his kingdom to enjoy him, um, to enjoy the love that he gives to us. And so our response is simply to trust in him, simply to glorify him, um, share, this, share this great news with others, share this love with others, um, and just rest in him. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I just praise you. Just thank you for uh, your son who sacrificed himself for us. Thank you for Jesus and the mercy that you give to us um, in our everyday life. I just pray that we, we glorify you in all that we do, that we, we trust in your wisdom. Uh, let's pray for those who are in the wisdom of the world, um, that you open their eyes, um, that you give them sight uh, to see you and to see the hope that you offer. Uh, in your name I pray, amen.